reading is from Psalm 32 and 1 John, chapter 1, verses 8 to 9. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 to 9. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins, and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is God's word. Good morning. In these weeks leading up to Easter, we've been in a sermon series looking at the topic of biblical repentance. And what we're doing each week is looking at what you might call the different ingredients that when you put them together makes up biblical repentance. And so each week kind of going deep in one topic and saying, how does this contribute to our understanding of what repentance is and how repentance works? Now today, We're coming to the ingredient that might be the most practical of all, confession. What does it mean to be a person who engages in the spiritual practice of confession? Now, to preach on confession is a challenge for any preacher because the Bible all throughout the story talks about confession. It's a really important practice for the uh, people of God. And so the challenge for the preacher is, well, which text do you choose if you're going to talk about confession? So I couldn't pick just one. So today we have two. We read from Psalm 32 and 1 John. And that's because confession is such an important part of the people of God's story. We actually need to look throughout the Bible to get something of its richness. We're also going to celebrate the Lord's Supper today. And so you can think of this sermon as leading us into communion and coming to the table. What is confession? What's it all about? This passage will show us, these passages, I should say, will show us three things. So first, we're going to explore why confession matters. And then second, what confession is. And then third and finally, how is confession possible? So why does it matter? Why is it important? What is it to be a person who confesses? And then how is it possible? So first, why does confession matter? Now, regardless of where you are in your spiritual journey, the idea or the practice of confession is countercultural. You might have been someone who's been part of a church for a long time. Maybe this is your first Sunday ever coming to a church. But confession, in essence, is bringing your sin, your brokenness to God and to other people. And the very idea of doing that might sound odd. It might feel really strange, like I should be putting my best foot forward. Why would confession be something I want to practice or engage in? There are at least two reasons why the practice of confession is actually vital, not just to spiritual life, but really to humanity itself. 
So let me give you two reasons today that we see in the text why confession matters, why it's so important. The first, you might call it personal. And the second, you could say community. First, personally, without confession, there is no pathway towards wholeness. Without confession, there is no pathway towards a life of wholeness and a life of flourishing. Look with me, if you would, at Psalm 32, verse 3. Here in this psalm, David is confessing sin. This is after the big sin of his life. He abused his power. He hurt people that he should have protected. He took advantage of people he should have served. I mean, terrible stuff. And now David is on a journey of renewal. So verse three, look at what David says. When I kept silent, now pause, in the context of the psalm, that's before I confessed. Before I confessed my sin. David says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me and my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. This is very interesting. Do you see what David is saying? Before he confessed, before he brought his broken, sinful self to God, David says, first, I suffered physically. My bones wasted away. His body actually was affected by the sin that was unconfessed. It wore him down physically. And second, he says, through my groaning all day long. Groaning is emotional strain. Mentally carrying a load that's too much for you. In other words, David's saying, physically I suffer, emotionally I'm weighed down. He goes on, my strength was zapped as in the heat of summer. He lost his will, his motivation, his drive to live and to do things. And then finally, your hand, he says, to God was heavy on me. The presence of God to him was not a comfort, it was crushing. In other words, when you look at this psalm, here's what David's saying. Before I confessed, I was suffering physically Emotionally, spiritually, I was worn down by my unconfessed sin and it was wreaking havoc in David's life. This is why Charles Blow, who's a columnist for the Times, not writing from a Christian perspective per se, but nonetheless said, concealment makes your soul like a swamp, but confession is how you drain it. You see, to be a human being is to be someone in which unconfessed sin wreaks havoc in your life. And psychologists, even thinking about humanity and mental health and human flourishing, recognize that when you bury guilt and shame, it doesn't go away. You can't ignore it. It's like toxic poison in your soul. And it wreaks havoc. One psychologist put it this way. We know that apart from confession, a person remains in moral isolation. Goes on to say confession, we know, this is looking at it from a scientific perspective, confession is linked to less stress, improved sleep, and cardiovascular function. We know that better sleep is associated with enhanced 
immune function and better general health, which correlate to better mental health too. Psychologists and columnists for the times are agreeing with what Psalm 32 says. Until you confess your sin, it's going to wreak havoc in your soul. It's going to wreak havoc in your body. There is no pathway towards wholeness apart from confession. Thomas Watson, who was a pastor trying to help his congregation understand confession, he put it this way very vividly. He said, confession is the vomit of the soul. Now that's an unpleasant image, but it makes the point, doesn't it? If you have an upset stomach or if you have some motion sickness and you vomit, it's terrible and you feel better. And oftentimes that's what confession is like. You bring out the ugliness, you expel the junk of your soul and that's hard to do. And it's the pathway towards healing. And David says, until I did that, every part of my life was affected in suffering. Why does confession matter? Personally, it's the pathway towards wholeness. But second, not just personally does confession matter, there's also a community element. Here's what I want to say here. If we're not a confessing church, we won't be a church that has real or authentic community. I don't know about you, but you know when you walk into a room, you walk into a space, maybe even a church group or something, and it just feels like everyone's pretending and it's fake. And if we're honest, nobody wants to be a part of that kind of community. That's one of the reasons why I've just done a little research on this this week. Don't think I have one. But that's why Be Real's taking off. The app, sort of com competition Instagram. We're all tired of perfectly polished presentations of ourselves. And so when I did my research about Be Real, the tagline for it is simply this. This is a new and a unique way to discover who your friends really are in their daily life. The Bible has another way of discovering who your friends really are in daily life, and it's called confession. Because what's happening in confession? You know that you're broken. You know that you're not perfect. You know that there are some things about you that are pretty messed up. And in confession, what you do is you bring that real self to other people and to God. You can stop pretending, you take the mask off, and you say, this is who I am. And until we learn how to confess, we can't have authentic community. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's been a big influence on me, he was a pastor in World War II living in Germany, and he had a thick Christian community, like lived beautiful community experience, and he wrote a book about it. It's called Life Together. It's a classic if you've not read it. And in that book, he says in one chapter, without confession, there's no community. Without, if we're not going to confess our sin before God and before each other, there's no hope for having a real community. He goes on to say in that chapter, quote, he who is alone with his sin is utterly alone. You see, sin wants to remain unknown. Sin demands to have a person by themselves. But in confession, the breakthrough to community takes place. See, through confession, you realize that you don't have to go on lying to yourself and to your brothers and sisters as if you were without sin. You can take the mask off. You can dare to be a sinner. Thank God for that. Without confession, there's no real community. But with confession, we take the mask off and say, this is me. 
and then community is possible. And friends, can I just say, practically, when a person confesses their sin inside community, not just in prayer to God, but when you actually say to a brother or sister, maybe a leader in the church, this is what I'm struggling with. Could you pray for me? Do you know what happens? Confession becomes contagious. Because then other people say, oh, wait a second. It's okay to not be okay here. This is a place where it's safe to confess our sin, to acknowledge our struggle and our brokenness and our selfishness. And when I do that, I'm not going to be shamed. I'm not going to be judged. I'm going to be seen. Confession becomes, vulnerability is an act of courage and it becomes contagious. And more than that, as we share our confessions, we begin to bear each other's burdens. Because you know, just sharing something that you're struggling with or an area of weakness or brokenness, just the act of sharing lightens the load on yourself. And so in confession, we become a community that actually bears each other's burdens. So why does confession matter? Personally, there's no wholeness without it. And second, because we want to have a real community. So here's the question, what is it? What is confession? Practically, what does confession mean in a person's life? The answer starts by saying what confession is not. Confession is not merely giving God or even another person information. You see, if you think that confession is telling God the bad stuff that you did, guess what? He already knows. He's already clued in. There is no information that God doesn't have. So when we talk about confession, it can't be just telling God, yesterday I was mean to so-and-so and I shouldn't have done that. He knows. So what is confession? And we get help by considering the Greek word from which we get our English word confession. The Greek word that's used throughout different parts of the Bible is homologios. And it's a compound word. Homo, same. Logios, word. Confession is to say the same words or to say the same thing about your sin that God says about your sin. Or to see your sin the way God sees your sin. That's what the biblical practice of confession is about. It's not just giving God information, but it's aligning your heart with God's. And it's about learning to see sin in your life, brokenness in your life, the way God sees it. And learning how to say about your sin the very same things that God says about your sin. Look with me again, Psalm 32. David is confessing and he's showing you what I mean. So verse 5, let's look at David's confession in action. Psalm 32 and verse 5. David says, then I acknowledged my sin to you. Now the word sin, that means the bad behavior. David says, I did something I shouldn't have done. In this case, there was abuse and there was murder. Really bad stuff. And David says, that was my bad behavior. That's what I did wrong. And that's where confession starts. It starts with saying, this is the thing that went awry in my life. But for many of us, that's where it stops. But the verse goes on. 
David doesn't just say, that was my bad behavior, but he goes on and says, and I did not cover up my iniquity. Now, iniquity is an important word. That has to do with disordered loves. Iniquity is not just the bad stuff you do, but it's the heart motivation for why you did it in the first place. David's saying, it's not just that I did this bad thing, but the reason I did it is because the loves of my heart were out of order. I loved too much the wrong thing, or I loved even a good thing more than God. And because my heart's loves were out of order, that was what gave rise to the bad behavior in the first place. And he goes further. End of verse 5. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Transgression is a word that means rebellion or rejection of God himself. It's not just that I did a bad behavior. It's not just that the loves of my heart were out of order, but fundamentally my sin was a rejection of God. It was an affront to God himself. It was me saying to God, I don't want you. I don't need you. I'm going to do this my own way. And you see, friends, that's confession. Not just what you did, but why you did it. And learning to see that sin as not just something that was sort of behavioral, but fundamentally a rejection of God himself. If that sounds abstract, let me give you three examples. First, I'll confess. A couple years ago, I was writing a sermon, which I do a lot, And Michelle came, this was back when we lived in New York, and she came and said, hey, when you have a few minutes, uh, could you help me with something in the apartment? Again, New York apartment. And I was really snappy with her. I was very irritable. Yeah, you know, I went, okay, I'm busy, you know. Very irritable and short and snappy with her. Now, that was wrong. That was a bad behavior on my part. I should not have done that. But here's the question as I'm confessing. Why was it that when Michelle came to ask for help with something in the apartment, I was snappy and irritable and short with her? Because my loves were out of order. You see, I was disappointed with how my sermon was going. I was trying to write my sermon, but it wasn't coming together the way I hoped. And then I'm thinking, oh no, I'm busy. Now she needs my time. I'm going to preach on Sunday. It's going to be a train wreck and everybody's going to think I'm terrible and ah, And I was connecting too much of my identity to the quality of my sermons. And I loved the reputation that I got too much from preaching a good sermon. So all of that in my heart led to being snappy and irritable with my wife. And ultimately, I was not looking to God to give me an identity. I was looking to my own productivity and achievement. Confession means not just saying, I shouldn't have done that. But it means, why did I do that? And learning to see my sin the way God sees it. And to say about my sin, of course I was snappy and irritable. It's because I'm looking to a sermon to give me something only God is meant to give me. And it never can. And that's the process of confession. Second example. Some of you, and this is true throughout our city. Some of you work too much. You overwork. You might even be dangerously overworking. And in your overwork, you maybe neglect family or friendship. You neglect your spiritual disciplines. Maybe you even neglect your physical health because of how much you have to work and how much you work. 
what does repentance look like? What does confession look like? It might start with saying, I'm working too much. This is not healthy. I need to cut back. But biblical confession means asking the question, why am I overworking? What am I looking to in my overwork that keeps me running at too fast a pace? And usually there's some kind of deeper love or a deeper idol, control or identity or people pleasing. And confession means going deeper and below the surface to ask the question, why am I doing things that lead to these destructive behaviors? Third example, just trying to drive this home. There's a man called St. Augustine. He lived many years ago and he wrote a book called The Confessions. It's a remarkable book. It literally is an autobiography in the form of one long confession. It's a stunning book. And St. Augustine in that book remembers a time when he was a teenager. And one night with a group of his friends, as teenagers I guess did back then, they hop a neighbor's fence, they run into the orchard, and they start grabbing pears off the tree and eating them and throwing them to the pigs and stealing pears. Years later, when Augustine has his conversion and he's writing this book of his confession, he remembers that night with his friends, stealing pears. And as he's confessing, he says, why did I do that? Like, why did I do that? He says, I wasn't hungry. He came from a well-off family. So I wasn't hungry. He says, the pears weren't even that good. Why did I do it? And he says in his confessions, the theft itself was a nothing. And for that reason, I was the more miserable. Yet, had I been alone, I would not have done it. I remember my state of mind to be thus at the time. Alone, I would never have done it. Therefore, my love in that act was to be associated with the gang in whose company I did it. Do you hear what he's saying? Peer pressure. He wanted to fit in with his friends. And so the reason he hopped the fence and ate the pears and threw the pears to the pigs was not because he wanted the pears. It's because he wanted the love of the people he was with. And that's confession. It's not just saying, what did I do? But why did I do it? And what was I looking to in that moment instead of God to give me love and acceptance and meaning? He says, my loves were out of order. I was looking to the love of this community rather than the love God should be giving me. That's confession. Not giving God information, but aligning your heart with his and learning to see and say about your sin the very same things that God sees and says about that sin. So here's the question finally, how is it possible? How can we become a people who learn how to confess our sin like that? And here's the answer in a nutshell. You need to feel safe. The reason why we struggle with confession too much is because we don't feel safe. We feel like if we bring our honest selves before other people, maybe they'll use it against us. Maybe they won't accept us. Maybe they'll be judgy or shame us. We don't feel safe. And more than that, we think even as relates to God, you know, he was merciful to me last time. 
But maybe after this repeated sin again, maybe he's lost his patience with me. Maybe I crossed the line and I've run out of grace. In other words, the reason we struggle with confession at deep levels is because we don't feel safe, either in God's presence or in the presence of other people. And yet David knew in verse 5, when we confess, God meets us with forgiveness. And David was able to be bold in confession because a sense of forgiveness was so real to him that he was safe. And he could say, this is what I've done. This is why I did it. And he knew that he would be met with forgiveness. So he's safe. The question for you, the question for me is, how did he know? How can you know that when you confess your sin, there'll be safety and forgiveness? And the answer is in 1 John, the other passage that we read this morning. In 1 John, the text that Dio read it says this, if we confess our sins, he, Jesus, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And here's what I want to draw out this morning. The text doesn't say, if you confess your sin, God will be merciful and forgive you. The text says, if you confess, he will be just and forgive your sin. Now in that difference is everything. Because you see, if God only forgave us because he was merciful, then as my old pastor used to say, we would always be anxious. <laughs> is he still going to be merciful? Or is his patience with me run out? But the text says that no, God is just to forgive your sin. Why? Because on the cross, when Jesus Christ died, he wasn't just dying as an example, he was dying as a substitute. And that means when Jesus died for your sin, he literally carried it on his shoulder. He paid the price. He paid the penalty. And do you know what that means? God won't take double payment for the same sin. If Jesus paid for your sin, then you are free. So it isn't like Jesus stands before the throne of God the Father and says, hey, remember Bishan, that guy who keeps screwing up? He did it again. Let's just cut him a little slack, show him some mercy. He's really trying to change. That's not what happens in the courtroom of heaven. What happens in the courtroom of heaven instead is this. Jesus says to God the Father, it's Bishan again. He did it again but we're going to cover him in grace because I already paid for that sin. It's done. And Jesus, the son says, credit it to my account. And that's where forgiveness comes from. That Jesus himself bore every single sin that his people ever commit. And so when you confess, what you're doing is you're actually connecting or attaching your soul to the fact that Jesus already paid for that sin. And died for it. So that confession is not a gloomy thing. Oh, I did it again. I'm so terrible. It's a celebratory thing. In which as you bring your brokenness to God. He meets you with grace that is greater than your sin. Or as one hymn used to put it. Still does. But we don't sing it that much. Well may the accuser roar. Of wrongs that I have done. 
I know them all and thousands more, but Jehovah knoweth none. You see, in the courtroom of heaven, Jesus says it's paid for. And it's an act of justice for God to forgive your sin because he doesn't take double payment. If you see that, if you know that on the cross, Jesus actually literally died and paid the penalty for your sin, that creates freedom and safety so that you can confess your sin to God, but also to other people. And you can know that you are freed and accepted and loved in the courtroom that matters. And you know what that produces? On one hand, it produces humility. Because the idea of confession says, yeah, there's something wrong in my heart. (laughs) Confession humbles us. But it also produces safety and boldness that we know there's forgiveness in Jesus. A confessing community is a humbly bold community that is radically in love with the grace of God. And communion, which we'll celebrate in just a minute, is the ultimate proof that as we hold the bread and the cup in our hand, we have the tangible love of God for us. The grace of Jesus was greater than our sin. So let's pray and ask for God to make this grace real to us as we come now to our time of confession and renewal. Let's pray. Our God, thank you so much for the biblical practice of confession, the way that through it we can become more whole and that we can experience real community. So now during this time of response and as we prepare to come to the Lord's table, we ask that you would help us to be a confessing church, that we would confess our sin, and in so doing that we would see that Christ's grace is even greater still. We pray this now in Jesus' name and for his glory. And everybody said, amen.